The deeper I get uh, and have the opportunity to study Reformed theology, it has really led me into this strong urge to know the person and work of Jesus Christ more. A lot of times I was told growing up in my heritage that theology and doctrine only leads to cold hearts away from Christ, but that's actually been the opposite effect, and the experience has been opposite for me. And I really am, I'm completely fascinated by this God who came to be us with us in human flesh, literally a God in human flesh. And the story goes, he loves me, he died for me, is my mediator to the Father, but most importantly, he is my Savior. And the only reason we would ever set out to do something as crazy as planting a church among 500 other new churches in Franklin is for this very reason, which is Jesus Christ. Now, several months ago, I began uh, studying for my own personal uh, soul and edification and then also uh, teaching on uh, the book of John uh, at CBC. And as I begin to pray and think about what it is it that I think our church together as a congregation, what, what, what would be beneficial for us, uh, the book of John definitely was what came to mind and came to my heart. And there are several people here that love me and care about me and have pointed out that it's pretty arrogant for me to pick a book <laughs> that has my name. So just to clarify, my actual name is Jonathan and not John. So, uh, but I appreciate all of your kindness and observations. So it is with great joy and pleasure to ask you to turn to the book of John for the very first time tonight together. Tonight we are going to do a quick overview of the book because I think it's helpful often to know a little bit about the book before you start walking through it. And so a lot of what John says will make sense and puzzle pieces will fall into place and there can be actually a greater appreciation. How many of you ever gone into a movie, have no idea what the movie was about, and halfway through you still didn't know what the movie was about? And if somebody would have just said, this is what the movie is about, probably would have helped you out. That's been my experience before. So that's what I don't want to happen for us in the book of John. And so more importantly, we're going to actually learn a little bit more about the author and why he wrote it. And it's actually really fascinating and helpful to know why, who John is and why he wrote it. So let's begin with the author. Before we do, I want to pray. Father, I am humbled and so thankful for every single person in this room that together as a body of believers, we are here to encourage and strengthen one another, that we are praying and hoping and desiring to bring the community around us into the same joy that we have. It's not because we have an amazing program or that we're really good at what we do. As Christians, we're often really bad at what we do. But God, we have a message that unites us around a person that's the most important, most important person in this room, which is Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So John, John is the author. He never outright calls or states himself as the author. He never actually mentions himself in the book. But this is John, as we learn from studying, that this is the son of Zebedee. There's multiple Johns in the Bible. So specifically, this is John, the son of Zebedee, who is one of the 12 disciples, the original 12 disciples. And John also describes himself as being an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. So reading the other uh, Gospels, we learn that John is part of the 12, part of the eyewitnesses, and actually part of the inner three, 
that, uh, that follow Jesus around as far as the narrative goes. And John isn't writing this from a perspective of a tradition or working with secondary materials. John is actually, the, himself, is the primary material for this book. So when John begins to talk to us about what he has observed, just know that this is coming from him and not from tradition or things that have been passed down. And so he is writing from the perspective that I lived with Jesus for three years, and this is what I saw. If you stop and think about that for a moment, we just sang about Jesus. You are here because your life is dedicated to Jesus, and you're basing your eternal life after death on Jesus. And you have a man who says, oh, I lived with him for three years, and he trained me too. So when you read it from that perspective, it's a little bit different versus, oh, it's just one of the Gospels. It's just one of the Gospels. So this is why I believe all four Gospels are so important to Christianity. Now, it is interesting. We believe some of the most incredible facts about Jesus. And this is what we base our hope on. It's what we sang about tonight. But no other man in history has done what Jesus has done or accomplished what Jesus has accomplished in just the three years that we have that's recorded for us. No other man really has his existence and character and ability questioned as much as Jesus has in history. There are people who have made claims and then they, they don't live up to them. But the claims that Jesus has made from the narratives he lives up to them, and for 2,000 years now they've been called into question. But John is saying, I lived with him, I observed him, this is what happened. And what is unique about John's book as it relates to the gospel, as he sees himself as relating to Christ in a different way than any other of the, of the apostles or the disciples do. And he never actually refers to himself by his name in the book, but he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Which, you got to know, when the other disciples read that, they were like, come on. But that's how John refers to himself four times in the gospel, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and then he'll say, and Peter. <laughs> which is so it's fun when we get to those parts of the narrative it'll be it'll be fun to see how john inserts himself in this way um there are a lot of questions through the years that people have about jesus but the gospel gives us what we need to know and love about worshiping jesus christ there's a gap between the time of being 12 and the time of being 30 and a lot of times people want to know why is there a gap and what happened during those years. And what we're going to learn from John, which applies to the other Gospels, is that what we need to know and what's most important about Jesus is recorded for us. And what happened in between those years, I'm sure we can find out about that later, when we get to heaven. But this isn't just a historic book or a biography or a novel of some sort. This book is about the God who became flesh. And John really hones in on that. This is his perspective. The God who became flesh. The God who loves sinners. The God who redeemed sinners. And the best part is, it's 100% true. So as we read John, that's the part of our faith that we want to be strengthened and encouraged is that a lot of times we hear these stories, and we, most of them, if we go through the stories of John, we could probably name the title that we've uh, heard the Sunday school lesson that goes with. 
But we're going to learn from the perspective of John that he wants us to view it in a different way. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But this, these events, this person really said this. He really healed the blind man. He really walked on the water. And we have 2,000 years of distance. And for us, uh, I, I can remember even having this conversation with a young adult where they, they have they've been out of church for just a little while. And they say, man, I know I'm supposed to love Jesus. And I know that I'm supposed to have this affection for him. But I don't even understand who he is. And really, did he do all the things that he said? And he had this, he, he says, I like God, but Jesus, I don't know. And I, there are times where I wonder in our own hearts and our own minds where we know we're supposed to have this affection for Jesus, but sometimes it's everyone around us says they have it, and so we're going to pretend that we have it, but we couldn't really tell you for sure why we should have this affection for Jesus Christ. Well, the man who loved Jesus and the man who clearly understood Jesus' love for him, he said, I wrote a book. And so this is why I... I'm excited about studying this is because this man who wrote this book understand what it understood what it meant to love Jesus and to be loved by Jesus. So what should bring the reader encouragement is how John's gospel was accepted. So there's a true facts, true statements. John wrote his book and John's book was immediately accepted into the body of believers. So those who were the followers of Jesus Christ, many of those who actually saw Jesus Christ's death, saw his resurrection, because there was a lot of people there at the time. John is writing from, at the time, he's writing in Ephesus. And those who read John's book accepted it, and it widely began to transfer to multiple churches. So we are reading a book that immediately the moments that John wrote it and then began to pass it out was accepted by the church. Uh, if you... I wouldn't encourage you to do this, but if you were to go and read some what we call critical commentaries, those who look at and critique what we know to be true about John, one, it's exhausting. Two, they're a lot smarter than I am. But three, they, ha- they, they struggle with the on- authenticity of what John is saying. Is John the author? Is this what Jesus really did? Uh, but if you, if you were to look at, just from a historical standpoint, what encourages me in my faith is that those who saw Jesus Christ, interacted with him, Many years later, John writes a book, hands it to them, and those people say, yes, this is true. Yes, this is true. This book has been seen as factual from the moment that it was written. So that's just as far as a moment of encouragement from a historical standpoint. So second, what is the point of John's book? What is John trying to answer? What question is he trying to answer? And this is the question that John is trying to answer for his reader. Who is Jesus? That's what this book is about. Who is Jesus and what did he accomplish? So John does this in a very unique way as compared to the Synoptic Gospels, those of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So if you compare what they wrote to what John wrote, actually John wrote 93% of his book you can't find in the other three. So the other three work together and the majority of them work together and we can use those to compare about Jesus' life. But John took a different perspective. He took a different way of explaining who Jesus is and what it is that he accomplished. And so I find that interesting, that the majority of what John has to say, you're actually not going to find in the Synoptic Gospels. So John takes his focus and he places it more upon the relationships that Jesus has with either his disciples or those who he is uh, uh, conversing with, whether it could be an unbeliever, a Pharisee, or the church or the believers in general. So 
Uh, it is documented that there's 27 detailed conversations, which is extremely different from the other Gospels. They, other Gospels explain more of the narrative. This is what happened, and this is where he went, and these are the events that happened. John takes it and goes very personal. These are the actual words of Jesus. This is how Jesus responded. This is what Jesus thought. These are the illustrations that he uses. This is how people responded back to him. So these are 27 conversations either Jesus is involved in directly or they're about Jesus. John also takes, which is a little unique, 40% of his book is about the most important week in human history, which is the death of Christ. The week of that event, 40% of what John writes about is about that event, which means we get to spend a lot of time about uh, learning about the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, if you were to look at, John's, John doesn't take his book and kind of just th- hash, hash it all together and say, well, this is, this is kind of what happened. John actually has a plot to his book. He has a plan. He has a narrative that's going on here. And if you were to lay out John's plot, the first, uh, the first chapter is kind of like the opening scene of a well-produced movie. If you're sitting there and you're watching this movie, within a matter of minutes, you know who the main character is, what's going on, what's the setting, what's the theme. You're not sitting there, as I mentioned before, going, what is this movie about, Smurfs? I don't get it. So John, actually, right from the beginning, you know who Jesus Christ is, what he's here for, and what he's doing. So in John 1.1, if you have your Bibles here, we're going to actually be skipping all over John, but starting there, John 1.1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and... The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John brings you face-to-face with the point of the book with the opening phrase. And what he does from here is he actually unfolds the entire plot for you within the first 29 verses. So verses 1 through 4, he talks about creation. God is Jesus Christ is the creator. And then he goes right into the fall, creation fall, verse 5. And then verses 9 through 13 is redemption. So we have really the plot line of the entire Bible. He crunches it down to the beginning to set up what Jesus Christ is here for. And the creation, fall, redemption ultimately point to Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus, which is, you can see in verse 23 and 29. And we will see that John actually grasps the significance of Jesus in the Old Testament. John knows now that Jesus, maybe not at the time, because you, if you've ever read the, read the gospel before, uh, clearly the disciples are confused. There are times where they're all running all over the place when they're supposed to be standing there for Jesus. So this is many years later after John's had the opportunity to reflect on his life and how he abandoned Jesus and reflect on the things that Jesus says, Jesus now understands that from the Old Testament, Jesus came to fulfill the promises of redemption. So Jesus, he quotes Jesus, pointing out from the Bible, really the plot line of redemption for sinners. Turn over to chapter 5. We'll see this real quick. As an example, John records this conversation that he's having with people who don't believe that he's the Messiah. And And he says in verse 39, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Jump down to verse 46, just for the sake of time tonight. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So Jesus himself is saying the point, the writings 
of the Old Testament are to point and lead you to me, are to point you to me as the Messiah. So John strategically used Jesus' own words to demonstrate that the point of the Bible is Jesus Christ. That's the point. So remember, what's John's goal? He's trying to answer the question, who is Jesus? And so he even goes all the way back to the Old Testament and says, from creation to this point, the writings of the Old Testament, the writings of the prophets, they should lead you to me. They should lead you to me as the Messiah. They can't provide... Sorry, uh, this, is what, this is where we at CBC are not interested in doing life studies of the Old Testament characters. Nothing, I know this is kind of a bold statement, but really nothing about their lives interests me. Uh, they can't provide redemption for my sin. Their righteousness can't offer me anything that God would accept. And to be frank with you, comparatively, all of us in this room are better moral people than the majority of those people in the Old Testament. I mean, no one, hopefully, that I know of has committed murder in here, right? And you look at, so when you begin to compare and look at people from the Old Testament, Jesus, through John's narrative, is saying, the Old Testament is about me and should lead you to me. But yet in Christianity, we often take Old Testament characters and try and use them as moral good examples. But we'll see that's really not the intention or the purpose of the original writings. But as you read the Old Testament, I'm excited only, and we will have the opportunity to do that as we go through John, I'm only excited about it because it shows us despite these people that are full of themselves, who clearly don't understand the glory and the power of God as we don't, God uses them anyways to bring redemption to sinners. That's what's exciting about the Old Testament. God kept his promise. If our conclusion from reading the Old Testament isn't Jesus, according to the living, breathing word of himself, by the word of John, we miss the point of the book. We miss the point of the Old Testament. So Jesus is pointing people who are claiming Moses as their salvation or as their means by which they should be accepted before God and stating, you missed it. And we'll have fun. That's a fun narrative. We'll have fun going through that conversation. Jesus literally says, Moses is speaking of me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the point Moses is teaching here. So John knew this. It's a part of why he wrote the book, to explain not only to the Gentiles who didn't know the Old Testament, but also the Jews who would have known the Old Testament. This is written for their information. Just uh, to quote you something real quick, 2 Corinthians one twenty says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, which is Jesus Christ. This is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Of course, uh, if you ever want to prove your point and put a stamp of approval on it, just quote Paul, and then argument's over, right? So, but Paul understood this to be this as well, that the point of the Old Testament and the promises are fulfilled with Jesus Christ. We'll re- we will really see this and understand this as John is trying to demonstrate that the deity of God, that, that Jesus is God in the flesh, and we see that in the I Am statements of Christ. And John records seven of them, and they really give us a deep dive into the nature of God 
as it relates. So Jesus is God, and all the truths that are known about God are seen in Jesus. Just to point out some of these as they flow through the book of John. Uh, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read this to you quickly. But in John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And as we will learn not only in, in the prayer, uh, um, the prayer that God gives the disciples, but this concept being the bread of life is that God is the source of all true sustenance. He is the one who sustains us. He, uh, John chapter 9, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. God is the source of true illumination. No one can come to the Father unless the Father draws them, unless the Father opens their eyes, the true illumination of the word. Or he says in John chapter 10, I am the door, which the claim in chapter 10 points to God as the source of true security. That those who come through me, I am the way to the Father, are secured by that. Also in chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd, meaning that God is the source of true care. And you know, in John 10, I'll read this to you quick, in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd... The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so you have God who comes in the flesh and describes himself as a shepherd and a shepherd who cares and loves for his sheep so deeply, he says, I am willing to die for them. Yeah, that is a man I am interested in knowing. That is a man I am interested in studying. Uh, Chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. So God is the source of true life, whereas we know that God, the Father, has eternally existed, and so is Jesus. Chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is the source of a true authority. Everything that God has is in the authority of Jesus. Their authority is equal. Uh, This chapter is going to be fun for sure. Chapter 15, I am the vine, and God is the true source of fruitfulness. Our fruitfulness flows from God and his love for us. So what John is saying, what is God like? Well, he's like Jesus. Jesus is the manifestation of God for us. And the more we know Jesus Christ, the more we get to know God. And this is why those I am statements are so important to John. And as we study them, we'll pick those up as we go. But this leads us to our third question about John's book is, who is the intended audience? Why, what, what is John, or who is John writing to? Now, many commentators said that John was intending his book to be for unbelievers. And you guys have seen this. How many of you were on a college campus when you were growing up and someone handed you the book of John, right? It's John is used often, often as an evangelistic tool. And it's true that it can be used for that. And I would agree that it would probably be, if I had to pick a book, it would probably be the book that I would use. But I don't think that was John's intention when he wrote it. For many years, I thought this to be true. I thought the way I understand the gospel was that it was the starting place. It is uh, where we began, but yet we moved past that onto the meat of the word, the, the more difficult things, the more important things of the word. And I believe a lot of the commentaries I was reading and teachers that I'm aware of hold this view as well, that gospel is elementary and our starting point. And so, uh, John, if you, from a historical point, we just stand, step back and understand how John wrote his book. He wrote his book probably towards the latter end of his life, which would be around 90 to 100 AD. And this book would have been given to the many established churches at the time that it was being publicly read. So, John wrote the book, 
and then begin to give it to the churches. And how it worked was they would receive a book, and according to Paul's instructions, we learned that that book would then be copied and then sent to another church. So John's writing originally this book to believers, to be read by believers, and understood this to be read by not only Jewish believers, we'll see this, but also Gentile believers. And uh, as a matter of fact, there are four very large books titled Gospels, telling us about the beginning of life, or it would be, some would say, beginner stuff. And if you understand like, you, the thickness of your Bible, what takes up the majority of the New Testament? The Gospels. So just from a logical standpoint, ask yourself, according to God, who is divine and all-wise, who is in control of how the book would be designed, took up the majority of the New Testament about Jesus. And then Paul ended up writing about Jesus as well, not from a narrative standpoint, but from a theological standpoint. And so it's hard for me to think that John is writing this, and it should be accepted as a beginner book, because it just is dealing with the narrative of the gospel as it relates to God's redemption on the cross. But those who walked with Jesus didn't see it this way. So you remember, you have a man who spent three years with Jesus, considers himself to be loved by Jesus and loves him. And even Paul, the man who spent many years in the desert with Christ, didn't see the gospel as a beginning point either. As a matter of fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And go and read a lot of the introductions about how Paul is, is encouraging all the churches to in, continue in the gospel, continue in the love and the knowledge of the gospel. So here at CBC, we hold this same view, that the gospel is the primary message. We understand it to be the pinnacle of the Bible. It's not the beginning point. It is the point of the Bible. And lastly, and really this is connected to who is his audience, but lastly, what was the purpose for John's book? So turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And we're going to look at verses 30 and 31. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. Important there. They were observed, not hearsay, which are not written in this book. Uh, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John's saying, I recorded all that Jesus did and said as it relates to his redemption, so that when you believe, so that you would believe, he is the redemption sent from the Father. He is the Messiah. Believe this and live forever. The point of the book was faith. But not just faith in general, faith in a person and the work of a person. In other words, John is saying, the conversations I've recorded, the miracles I wrote about, his death on the cross, his obedience to the Father, his resurrection from the dead, I want you to hear this, and I want you to believe. I, uh, once in a while, I use Twitter, because I think it's a good idea, and then every time I do it, I realize it's a bad idea. But I used it uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was just thinking about, we were studying the 1689 Confession, the Lenin Baptist Confession with the elders, 
And I started thinking about that and just some of the amazing truths that we were uh, working through as an elder board. And one of the thoughts I had was, I thought at the time a good idea, I put out on Twitter. And this is what it said. God didn't send Jesus for us to emulate. He came to earn righteousness on our behalf. God accepts us as righteous by faith alone. Now, you would think I said Jesus was the Easter bunny because of the responses I got. And what I was trying to point out is that the ethics of Jesus is not the point of the Bible, and the ethics of Jesus is not why God sent his son to be human in the flesh. John actually doesn't emphasize or point to or glorify the ethics of Jesus. Go back to John 20 and the purpose of his book. He says, I want you to observe Jesus' life, what he said, what he did, and what was his conclusion? He didn't say, and I want you to emulate that, or I want you to copy that, or I want you to respond by doing what Jesus did. He said, I want you to believe, which is interesting. Jesus points, or John points to Jesus as the Savior of the world and says, believe that. Unfortunately, we've been ingrained to trust in our own ethics as being acceptable before God, our own ability to produce righteousness. So this is why things like Old Testament character studies become popular because it gives us ways that we can emulate or we can copy or we can try and use as motivations. But Jesus' ethics are meaningless to me and to you if they are purely for us to copy, for us to emulate. My good works would never reach the eyes of God untainted. It can never happen. I am doing a good thing right now. I am preaching the gospel. But to think that, as Paul says, the foolishness of preaching. So I understand, even in the moment of me preaching, I'm unaware of my own sin. To think that that would be acceptable in the eyes of God without Jesus causing me to be acceptable or declaring me to have his righteousness is crazy. So when I see a man who spent three years with Jesus, loves him, has had time to reflect on his life and the mistakes that he has made, decides to write a book, in his book give us the purpose of the book, which is as you observe Jesus from the moment he starts his ministry to the moment he ascends to the Father, the conclusion I want you to have about Jesus is I want you to trust him. I want you to believe in him. So the only reason I stand here today as God's child is because God, in his grace and his mercy, drew me to himself, cleansed me, and clothed me with something I could not earn, which was Jesus' righteousness. So now I'm accepted as God's child because Jesus paid for my debt. That's what John wants you to know. That's what he wants you to trust. You're accepted and loved as God's child because of what Jesus did. Believe that. Trust that. Offering me Jesus' ethics, I'm just going to be honest with you, never motivates me to obey. I'm a rebellious anarchist at heart. <laughs> you say, don't push the button, I'll push the button. Unfortunately, my wife can attest to that. <laughs> I'm not motivated by fear, I'm not motivated by intimidation. As a matter of fact, the worst thing about me is I really don't care what you think, and that gets me into a lot of trouble. 
So where do I find my motivation often to love God and to serve God? Well, offering me the love of God unconditionally, demonstrating to me through the miracle after miracle of mercy and grace, that, that is motivation to draw me to God in holiness. It is the reason I stand here today and I don't stand in some dark alley in despair. God loves me unconditionally and proved his love as the good shepherd by laying down his life for me. So I offer nothing to you and I have nothing to offer to you that's going to help you in your holiness personally. I have personally nothing for you. This is why Paul doesn't point to himself, says emulate me. He says, emulate me as who, who, who am I following? Following Christ. So please never look to me to find hope. Probably the only hope you could offer is if God saved him, he could probably save me. We are in desperate need of Christ. So as I said before, as I study and understand theology rightly, the life of Jesus gives me hope because... It seems so elementary to say this. He really did it. He really came. And John says, I lived with him. I touched him after he came from the grave. I saw him eat. And then I saw him leave. It really happened. He defeated death. No one's done that. It really happened. He won. And the greatest thought is to think that I now get to celebrate as a recipient of his victory. I didn't do anything, but yet he calls me to celebrate, which is what we do at CBC. This. This is what John wants us to see. He wants us to read how wonderful Jesus is. So John's book is on sale today at your local bookstore. One last closing thought. There were several commentaries giving advice on how to preach John's book. And I was like, ooh, I'm interested in that. And they said it can be confusing and hard at times because John doesn't give the expositor many points of application. So the other gospels kind of have a flow to them and a narrative to them and you can kind of work through them. But John's can seem a little confusing at times and almost like... He's got a loop, like a broken record, and just keeps saying the same thing over and over and over. And so they said, by chapter 9, or 8, a lot of preachers become frustrated because it seems as if John's just repeating himself. Well, I read that, and I said, awesome! That's what we want. We want to hear the repeat of how amazing Jesus Christ is. That means I've got an amazing application every week which is the same application we want, apply Jesus. Well, in two weeks, we'll begin John's book, as he tells us of Jesus, the living word. And in celebration of that, we get to go to communion. And the celebration of communion is that we have fellowship with the Father, not because that you have done a good job this week or any part of your week in life in general, but it's because 
what Christ has done for us. So those of you, if you're here, you don't understand the gospel, it's not something that makes sense, we don't want you to trust in this action. This is purely for our own edification and our faith to remind us of what God has done on our behalf, not what we have done. So let me pray and we'll take communion. Father, we are thankful for the hope that we have not in our own wisdom and definitely not in our own good works because they lack greatly. In Jesus' name, amen.